Good morning. If you have your Bible with you, if you want to go ahead and find uh, the second chapter in Revelation, we'll be in the second chapter of Revelation this morning. I have a question for you. Is it nice to be narrow? Uh, is it okay to be intolerant? Or could those things sometimes be a virtue? Uh, the truth is that sometimes it's nice to be narrow, and sometimes it's wise to be intolerant. Uh, but depending on how narrow you are, how specific you can be, it might be good or it might be bad. I guess it depends on what kind of narrowness that you're talking about. Uh, imagine if you go to the doctor. You go in, um, and he wants a narrow, you want him to be narrow when he's writing out prescriptions. You know, you walk in, and he says, so what's wrong? Why are you here? Because, I mean, who goes to the doctor if something's not wrong? So he says, what's wrong with you? And you're like, well, I hurt. And he says, well, where do you hurt? And if you're like me, you probably say, well, all over. And the doctor will say, well, all right, let me write you out a prescription. Let's, let's see, I'll give you some of the, those big red pills, we'll give you some of those, uh, maybe some of the green pills, maybe some of the little pink ones, and well, you got a yellow shirt on today, so we'll throw those in. One of those might work. You want the doctor to be narrow, you want him to be specific when he's writing out a prescription. Imagine you're flying somewhere. You get on a plane, you want the pilot to be narrow. You want him to go to a specific place. If you get on a plane and you're going to Florida, you don't want to wind up in Idaho. Nothing against Idaho, but I'd rather go to Florida. When you go to the bank, you want the teller to be specific. You want the teller to be narrow. When you ask for $100, you don't want $62. You want them to be specific. You want them to be narrow. So how much more important is it to be narrow about the things that deal with our eternal destiny? It's more important that we learn to be narrow, to be specific about those types of things. Now, the church in Thyatira, where we're going to look at today, um, it's a wonderful church. It's a great church. But we're going to see that they were making a tragic mistake. Uh, the church there, they were tolerating something that they shouldn't tolerate. It, they were putting up with something that they should have just put out. Uh, maybe people were telling them, hey, you're just being, you're being too narrow. You're being intolerant of others. Maybe they just thought, we're broadening our minds, trying to be inclusive so that everyone feels welcome and at home. So let's see what Jesus has to say to the church in Thyatira. We'll pray and we'll read the fourth letter to the seven churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you uh, for the privilege of coming together uh, to worship in this place, that we can do so so freely um, and vibrantly. Thank you for the time of worship that we've had this morning, where we've just cried out to you, honoring you with our song. Lord, I just pray as we go to your word this morning, as, as we look at this letter that you wrote to a church, that we see that sometimes we might be guilty of the same things and that we can learn the same important lessons that the church in Thyatira learned as well. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for just his amazing atoning death. 
putting pay to our sin. Thank you so much. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. So Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18, our text reads, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works. Your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you. That you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works." And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Our passage, we see Jesus described in a way that takes us all the way back to, uh, to Daniel chapter 10, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. Uh, he's saying, Jesus has this penetrating sight that can see right through you. He sees and he knows everything. Nothing escapes his sight, nothing escapes his knowledge. Nothing, understand, nothing is hidden from him. He knows everything about you today. There's nothing that you could tell him that he doesn't already know. He has these eyes like flames of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, bronze, it speaks of strength. And together we get this idea that Jesus is coming in judgment. The picture is that Jesus knows everything. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. And he is coming in strength to judge us, to judge what is wrong. And it's not like the idea that Santa's going to come and and decide whether you've been naughty or nice, whether you get presents this year or not. This is about God himself coming and taking care of business. And in verse 19, he says, there's some good things about your church. He says, I know your works. I know your love. I know your faith. And I know your service and your patient endurance. And I know that your latter works, they exceed your first. What he's saying is this is a going church. This is an active church. They are working. They are loving. They are enduring. They're serving. But even more importantly, the church in Thyatira, it's a growing church. They're doing more now than they did At first, it's a church that's increasing, it's growing. They're doing more than they used to do. 
Jesus has some good things to say about this church. And then he mentions a flaw. He uses one of those words that we hate to hear at the beginning of verse 20, but. It's such a little word, but it says so much. But is just one of those words, those terrible words that says, despite everything I've just said, despite all the compliments, all the good things, it doesn't matter. Once a but comes into play, everything prior to that is null and void. It says, but I have this against you. That you tolerate this woman named Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants. She's teaching them to practice sexual immorality and to eat food that's been sacrificed to idols. He's saying there is a fatal flaw in your church. There is something desperately wrong. He's saying this is the beginning of something that could destroy you. They were tolerating this woman teaching theological and moral error. And they were letting her do it. And if you would have told the people in the church, why are, why are you doing this? Why are you letting her? You shouldn't let this happen. They would have said, well, we don't want to be narrow. We believe that we should be nice to people, and we want to be nice to everybody. So, after all, you know, she seems pretty sincere. We may not agree on everything, but people don't need to cross their T's and dot their I's the same way. People can have different opinions. So this church in Thyatira, they didn't want to be narrow. They didn't want to be intolerant. And so what they did is tolerated this woman Jezebel to teach error in the church. Now I want to get right down into how we ought to deal with theological and moral error. The first thing that we're going to see is we need to see the source of the error. We need to see the source of the error. Jesus says, you tolerate this woman named Jezebel. So this woman, she's in the church at Thyatira. She's poisoning the church. What does that say about her character? Well, we know something because she's called Jezebel. I don't really think that her name really was Jezebel. I think it was probably more like a symbolic name. Uh, To call Jezebel something like this, to call a woman Jezebel would be like calling a man Judas. You're putting them down. It's the worst thing that could be said about her because Jezebel, if you don't know, is an Old Testament character. Jezebel was a strong and wicked woman. And anybody who got in her way, even her husband, they needed to watch out. She was the daughter of a pagan king and she brought these pagan ideas into Israel. The Old Testament Jezebel, she followed Baal, and, and, and she, in the worship of this God, it was immoral, and it was unspeakable what they did in their worship. So she's this clever, clever woman, and she's dangerous. She was introducing pagan worship into Israel, but, but she didn't come out and out against God. She didn't say, hey, you're wrong, and I'm right. She started being sneaky. She mixed this altar of pagan worship with the altar of God. 
That's what Elijah said when he came against Jezebel and Ahab. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if thou, then follow him. Isn't that so much like us today? We want to keep one foot in the world and we want to keep one foot in the church. We want to be holy, but we don't want to miss out on the things that the world has to offer us. So we limp between them. We limp, we limp this way and that way as the mood hits us of what's going on on that particular day. And the woman teaching this error in the New Testament was so much like the woman in the Old Testament that they gave her that name, Jezebel. Because both of these women had the same desire to lead people away from God. We see her character. We also see her call. Verse 20 tells us who calls herself a prophetess. God didn't call her to preach. The church didn't call her to preach. She was self-appointed. This is a woman who had seized authority in the church. pastor did nothing to stop it. Let it go on. He didn't stand up and put this out when it needed to be put out. And the message of condemnation is spoken primarily against the angel of the church, which is the pastor. Because he allowed Jezebel to teach and lead astray God's servants. So the first thing we see is the source of the error. The second thing that we'll see is the seductiveness of the error. This error, it is seductive. It looks so nice. It says, you tolerate. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching. What it tells me about the church is that that church had a really big heart, but had a really soft head. And they felt like, we just need to get along with everybody. We need to get along with everybody's ideas. Maybe even the devil himself. Maybe the church said, we can't let this Jezebel of a woman get away with this. And others would say, it wouldn't be very Christian to oppose her. And of course, you would have had the people who just said, can't we all just get along? Today, I want you to know that it is not unchristian to oppose error. Jesus doesn't tolerate those things. And if he can't tolerate them, we shouldn't either. Don't let anybody ever get it into your head. Don't let them think that if you stand against theological and moral error, that you're wrong because you are as right as right can be. This was a seductive error. And they allowed it to just work its way through the entire church. It, 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 they let it work through the church when they should have stood up and opposed it. And, and there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with the church saying, you can't teach this. You can't say that. You can't do this because it doesn't agree with this.
the error, it was seductive. We also see that the error, it was serious. Let's look at the seriousness of the error. Jesus says, she is seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, if you remember the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, the church at that point, early in the church's history, had to confront the distortion of the gospel. People were making all these rules and regulations, and some were even arguing that a Gentile, if you were going to become a Christian... First, you had to be circumcised. Then you had to start keeping the law of Moses. That You needed to become a Jew before you could become a Christian. And the decision was made in Acts 15 of the Jerusalem Council that there were only a couple things that Gentiles needed to stop and refrain from. Acts 15 verse 29 tells us, Don't eat what's been sacrificed to idols. Don't eat blood. And from what has been strangled. And from sexual immorality. But here in the church in Thyatira, there's this woman named Jezebel who'd come into the church and started drawing away the loyalty and the devotion of those people, leading them to some other deity, to some other philosophy, to to some other ideology, all the while teaching them to do something that had already been specifically forbidden. And I'm sure it sounded good. I'm sure it was wrapped up with a bow and seemed awful nice and appealing. Um, The Jezebel of the Old Testament, she was cunning. She was clever. She was persuasive. And Jezebel in the New Testament, she was a clever teacher who taught the deceiving things of Satan. Verse 24 says, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. I think when this Jezebel, when she stood up to teach at the church and stood before the people, and and there were probably some people who questioned her, opposed her, and she'd just say, maybe... Maybe you're not deep enough. Maybe you don't understand enough. You don't know enough. You're just not mature enough as a Christian. Maybe you haven't been to school long enough or educated enough. Maybe if you had just a little bit more faith. Maybe if you trusted God just a little bit more, you'd understand what I'm talking about. And there were people who were put down because they didn't think they could be able to understand it. So we see the seriousness of the error. And next, it's the stubbornness of the error. This error was stubborn. Jesus says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. And you read that and you think, isn't that amazing of God? He could have judged her. He could have judged her according to human standards. He could have done that right away. But God, God was patient with Jezebel. And God didn't judge her right away. He, he still cared enough to give her time to repent. So you need to understand this. God would much rather correct us than condemn us. God would much rather pardon us than punish us. God gave her time 
to change her ways. But she was stubborn. So she kept going, and she made this terrible mistake. See, what happened is she misunderstood God's slowness for softness. And she thought, well, God hasn't punished me yet. He hasn't done anything. He's not punished any of us. He's not going to punish us after all. So she's congratulating herself on her success. But judgment was right around the corner. But don't we all do that? We think we got away with it. We, we, we figure since, well, nothing bad's happened. Nobody's found out. I'm in the clear that we can just keep on living our lives exactly as we did before. And what happens is we start thinking there are no consequences for our actions. It was a stubborn error. And next, we see the spread of the error. This error started spreading. Verse 22, it says, Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. We're told that those who committed adultery with her, and, and, and those, there were children as a result. And that's because this wicked and ungodly teacher reproduced. And that's what happens. They go from door to door, from house to house, church to church, committing spiritual adultery. And the result is children, spiritual children, not children of God, but children of the devil. See, the error spreads because they reproduce. And the children, they receive the character and the condemnation of the parents. And God's saying, look out here, not only, not only are you doing this, but you're spreading your disease you're seducing others to your wicked ways, and you are growing this ungodliness and wicked children here on the earth. But it does spread. People think, well, I'll do my own research. I'll find my own references that support my own particular point of view. I saw a meme on Facebook, and it looked awful professional, so it has to be true. The sad thing, people will never go back to the definitive source to find the correct answer. They won't pick this up. They won't see what God has to say. They saw it on Facebook or Twitter. And that misinformation, it spreads as rampantly as a virus, infecting people, sickening them, and even killing those who refuse to hear the truth. And so there was the spread of the error. And next we see the sentence on the error. We see the sentence on the air. God says, Jesus says in verse 22, Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. What we see is that Jezebelism leads to spiritual adultery. And I don't really think this text is talking about physical adultery. Um, I believe he's talking about being spiritually unfaithful to Christ. You see, as Christians, when we're saved, we're married to Christ. We're his bride. 
And being saved, it's a lot like being married. You get married, you take vows, and you assume responsibilities. And when you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you do the same thing. And what a judgment. What a judgment that's going to come upon those who teach false doctrine and teach people to commit spiritual adultery like Jezebel. And just as the dogs ate Jezebel in the Old Testament, the judgment of God was waiting for this Jezebel and anyone else who will defy the Lord. And God says, lady, I am going to take you from that bed of adultery and I am going to cast you into a bed of tribulation. He says, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches, he's saying, everybody's going to know that I am he who searches mind and heart and will give each to each of you according to your works. And you know what we see right there? We find the truth that there are so many in churches all over the world who aren't saved. Jesus even addresses this in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 23. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. You see, those who claim to be part of the church, who don't really know him personally, they will be judged by their works. Now, I want you to write this down. If you're not going to write anything else down, write this down. Salvation is always by grace, but judgment is always by works. We are saved by grace and grace alone, and we are judged strictly by our works. And I think that the hottest part of hell is reserved for those who lead others astray. Because it is far worse for you to believe a wrong thing than it is for you to do a wrong thing. Something else I want you to write down. You go to heaven or hell... By what you believe, not by what you do. There are so many people in the world today that get that completely backwards. I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to who always, they'll throw the, well, when I die, and he puts me on those scales, and I'm hoping that on this side I've done more good things than I've done bad things so that I get there because I've been a good person, I've been a decent person, I even helped some charities, and I've done some good things. I've messed up, but I've done more good than bad. That's not what determines where you go. You go to heaven or hell by what you believe and not by what you do. The final thing that we see is that there is a stand against the error. There is a stand against the error. What should they have done? What should they be doing when they hear these critical words of Christ? Verse 24, Jesus says, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast 
what you have until I come. What's he telling them to do? He says, I'm just going to give you one thing to do. That's it. I'm not going to overburden you. I'm not going to give you more than you can remember. I'm going to give, not even think about giving you more than Just hold on fast. Hold on. Hold on tight. Because I'll be back. In the world today, we're going to have more philosophies, more perspectives, more persp- uh, perceptions. Just keep coming at us. And there's going to be a temptation to get away from this, from the Bible. There's going to be a temptation to get away from salvation by grace through faith. There's going to be a temptation to believe there may be another way. And Jesus simply says, hold fast until I come back. And even if it seems tough... Remember, we'll have our day. Verse 26, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Did you know that one day Jesus is coming back to rule this world? And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. See, God the Father has given God the Son the right to rule over and reign here on earth. So he simply says, don't give up. Hold on tight. Stick with it. Stay with the word. Hold fast to the truth. Don't ever let go. And Jesus gives him another promise in verse 28. And he says, and I will give him the morning star. Did you know that Jesus is the morning star? What he's saying, if you hold on and you keep holding tight, you're going to get the greatest reward of all. You get me. He says, don't let go. Don't don't let down. Don't back up. Don't shut up. He says, I'm coming back. He's saying... To us, to hold fast, to stick in there, to stand up for your faith. Because one of these days, you'll possess the morning star. And if you have Jesus, you have everything. This morning, as we come to a time of invitation... Whose truth are you listening to? Are you staying with this? Or are you sticking with what the world teaches? Because this is the ultimate right or wrong. It lets us know the truth. It lets us know who he is and how to have a relationship with him. Today, if you don't know Christ... Understand that he is coming back one day to to judge this world, to judge us. And you can either be judged by what you've done or by what you believe. Christ died in your place. He gave his life on a Roman cross to put paid 
to the debt we owe. He was buried, and on the third day, raised back to life. So that when we put our faith and our trust in him, we can have hope for the future. Knowing that our fate's not determined by how good we can be, but by how good he is. Maybe you do know him today. And you've wandered and you've let the world kind of seep into your walk. You need to make a stand and you need to hold fast to him and to the word. I encourage you as we sing a song of invitation this morning to make a decision to either hold on to him or hold on to the word, world. Because you can't have both. It's either or. You can't go limping between one or the other. You either have him or you don't. I'm going to pray, and I encourage you not to leave here without knowing him personally and ready to make a stand and hold fast to what this says, not to what the world says. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word to the church in Thyatira. That, Lord, that even as the world tries to encroach and tear us apart and to teach us things just, that just aren't right, that we know that we can trust you, that we can hold fast to you, that we can be faithful until the end. Father, I pray for those here this morning and those who are watching at home, that, Lord, that we know the truth about you that you're the only way and you're the only thing we'll ever need. Father, thank you so much for your son. Thank you for what he did for us. Thank you for loving us the way you do. And I just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us. Sing along. The more I seek you, the more I find you, the more I find you, the more I 